0: I don't think this is a creed. It reads like it, doesn't it? It reads like Peter's answer is, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But I don't, think it, I don't think it's a creed. We're very keen on creeds in the Christian church. We've had them since the beginning, and if you didn't get it right, depending on when you lived, you might find yourself ostracised, you might yourself find yourself at the point of a sword, or burnt at the stake or sent across the sea, or just thrown out of your denomination to begin your own church. We've been very keen on making sure we get the right terminology said in the right way by the right people at the right time. And creeds, they're kind of useful shorthands, aren't they, for saying something bigger? But the problem with them is that they can be locked in and they can impoverish our language. It'd be like asking you to tell me about the city of Paris. You might tell me it's one of the oldest cities in Europe. It's about 25 uh, centuries old. You might tell me that the Eiffel Tower was built at the end of the 1880s. You might tell me a whole bunch of things like that. that would be facts and they would be true, but it really doesn't tell you very much about Paris, does it? It doesn't tell you that... Everyone calls Paris the city of love. That springtime in Paris is supposed to be the most beautiful time to be there. I did go once in spring and it rained the whole time, but... But it was still amazing. Because if you want to talk about something like Paris, which is a real place, but it's also a mythical place in our thinking, and our talking, you need to tell much more than just a bunch of facts. You need to tell something about the mystery of the place and the the beautiful bridges and what it would be like to walk across them and all of those sorts of things. That's the kind of thing we need if we're going to tell somebody something that has meaning and purpose and has a sort of sense of being alive in you rather than just a bunch of facts. The church hasn't been very good at having a vocabulary to talk about what it's like to be engaged with the divine, what it's like to, as we often talk about it, to know God. We've often been more keen on making sure you know the facts and you recite the facts in the right way and you make sure other people recite them in the right way and you believe them. When I was a kid, we learned that the most important thing about being a Christian was not to swear or drink or go to the movies or go dancing. Very few of these things are mentioned by Jesus, except drinking, and he, was, he liked it so much that people called him a drunk. So it never really... We've been an inarticulate in our expression of what, it is it, what could it possibly mean as we come Sunday after Sunday in places just like this all over the world and talk about something that is so hard to talk about that it needs all kinds of language. And Jesus gives us a clue to this all the way through the gospel of Matthew which is the gospel we've been dealing with this year Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven which is his expression for what it means to be in complete connection with the whole universe the divine nature of everything He said sometimes it's like like yeast in the dough sometimes it's like a pearl that you find in a marketplace. Sometimes it's like a treasure hidden in the field. Sometimes it's like a king who puts on a feast. He never stuck with one way of saying things because anything worth saying needs to be said in a hundred different ways. It's not enough to just say to the people you love, I love you. You should say it and you should say it as often as you can. But you've got to do other things as well to fill it out, to make it make sense. Jesus did this all the way through. He compared the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven, his language for God, he compared that to all kinds of different things. I don't think Jesus was at all interested in the right answer. Because when Peter said, "You are the Messiah, the son of the living God," Jesus didn't say, "You're right. Tick. Next." He said, In a better translation than the one we heard, it's a good translation, but a better translation is you are blessed. Peter, you are blessed. And who else is blessed in Matthew's Gospel? Well, people who are poor in spirit, people who grieve, people who are merciful, people who are gentle, pretty much anybody who's not a complete rat bag, which is all of us. At least some of the time people who hunger and thirst for justice they're all blessed peter's amongst the blessed not because he got the right words but because he expressed something that was true for him in that moment he's blessed because he's human there's a blessing for in fact there's so many blessings in the the gospel of matthew that people are blessed because they're alive. And if you just want to put your hand on your heart just to make sure that you're in that group, because you are. Why does Peter say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God? Is there an other kind of God? Well, it turns out there is, because where this is happening is really important. It's in a town called Caesarea Philippi, which was named after the Caesars, by King Herod, or uh, one of the Herods, the son of Herod the Great, called Philip, and he named it after the Caesars to, you know, gratiate himself. And he also built a number of palaces, many of which apparently you can still see there in ruin today. It used to be named after the great god Pan, who was the, the god of everything. And I reckon what's happening here is Peter's looking at all these temples And he's remembering all the things Jesus has been saying and all the things that have been happening. And he realises that what he's looking at is death. There's just these great stone monuments everywhere, but there's no one present. And what he's been experiencing is a living experience. So what he's saying is not a creed, but his experience in that moment. In this moment, my experience of you, Jesus, is that you are, well, you're like, You're like the son of the living God. It's a revelation in that moment. Just like Jesus would say, well, the kingdom is like, what's like yeast? or the kingdom is, the experience of God is like, what's like going to the market and finding a pearl? Just this is what needs to be said in this moment. That's why Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. This has been a real revelatory moment, an experience that is so deep within you that it didn't come from what you've read or from what you've thought yourself. It's somehow come out of something new and different. And we've all had that moment of experience, haven't we? Sometimes, you know, you just be with somebody you love deeply. Sometimes you'll be sitting alone on a beach watching the sun go down and you just get a moment when, just for a moment sometimes, it all comes together, it all makes sense. Where did it come from? Well, it came from everything. But it came as, if you like, a revelation. They're adorning of, the, of, of, of authentic experience. And isn't that what we long for more than anything else is authentic experience? Today, if you want to go to a travel agent to talk about going to another place, what they will try and sell you more than anything else is not just going there, but going there to authentically experience what it's like to be in that place. You can meet people who live in that area who will take you to their homes and give you their food because we want to come back not having seen a postcard of Paris. We want to come back having experienced it deeply. We want to be authentically experiencing life. And yet Jesus is being specific in this moment too. He's not just making up creedal statements that all have to be sort of pasted on the wall and believed and saluted to. He's right in the middle of the moment too, because he says, you are Peter which we figure out might have been a nickname that Peter or, that Simon already had. It means rock, small rock. And It might have been that, or maybe Jesus gave him this nickname. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It's a nickname. It means small rock. It could even mean, and I like this one the best, it could mean gravel. Just a bunch of small rocks. On this rock. Not the rock that you can see around you because Caesarea Philippi is built against a massive cliff that's been there for millions of years. It's not going to be like that. It's not going to be solid with all these temples in it. It's going to be built on... Well, it's going to be built on kind of people like you, Peter. A bunch of sort of loose gravel. It's going to be built on people like you and me, which is no... This is no way to build on just like ordinary people like us. Isn't it supposed to be built on strong, smart, intelligent, educated, wise people? And there are parts of the church that want to treat Peter in that way. But what if Jesus is saying, look, in this moment, you need to recognise the difference between this great monolith of cliffs with, with all of these palaces on them, And the difference between that and just who we ordinarily are. And that's what I'm going to be building on. And, you know, even the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. And there's a legend that one of the temples in Caesarea Philippi is built over a cave that you can still see. And the legend is the cave is bottomless. And it is the entry point into Hades, which was the Greek word for the underworld, the belief that many people had that the world was a sort of three-layered thing. The gods are up here, we're in the middle, and the underworld is down here. And both the underworld and the gods are all kind of having a go at us and we're just trying to survive in the middle. There was a temple there on top of this cave that was the gate of Hades. So Jesus is being really specific in this moment. He's looking around and he's saying, this is the experience right now. I'm going to be building on you lots. And even, even, see this temple, even the gates of Hades are not going to get in the way. We are the blessed. Peter was the blessed. The poor in spirit are the blessed. Little children are blessed. Ordinary people are blessed. Not just the great and the good but the ordinary and the humble. And on this, Jesus says, in this moment, here now in this way of talking about it, because tomorrow we'll talk about this differently. Because today you might be in total despair and you need to know that blessings come to the grieving and the hurting and the despairing. Tomorrow, you might be on top of the world because a couple of things happened or a couple of things didn't happen. And suddenly you feel alive. And you're blessed for that too. And then the next day, who knows? And the day after that, who knows? It's specific to this moment, the experience of being blessed, of experiencing, as Peter put it in that moment, son of the living God.